Amen. Let's take a moment just to pray. If I could pray for us before we uh, get into the word, let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We worship you. Lord, we thank you for the privilege we have to be able to sing songs of praise together, to read the scriptures as a church together, to hear the word of God being preached, to respond, and it is truly a privilege to be your people, to be loved by you. And we pray today that as we delve into your word, you'll remind us again of how amazing your grace is. And we pray, Lord, that we would just be in awe of you, that we will respond with worship to you, uh, with trust in you, that we will respond just by being blessed by you, and that we would truly seek to live lives that are pleasing to you, to you alone. We thank you, and in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So today we want to talk about a uh, just an important topic, I guess, a very common topic, uh, something that I think we probably all experience in one way or another. I think all of us uh, tend to do this thing called worrying or being anxious. Um, how many of us, I guess, would, ask, say, would consider ourselves to be an anxious person? Right? How many of us would consider ourselves to be a worrier? And I, honestly, I think if I ask that question, I think a lot of hands would go up uh, because I think it's, in, in many ways, it, it seems like a universal experience. I don't really know anyone who has ever told me that they experience no anxiety. And I think it's a matter of degrees. Uh, remember, I, I remember as a kid once, I was, uh, I was at church. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a pastor's kid. I think I've shared that before. And I was probably in my elementary years, I forget, maybe second grade, third grade. And, you know, I was running around church, causing a ruckus, being loud with my friends. And, you know, uh, that's what kids do, right? I see kids running around church, and it's, uh, it's actually really encouraging and a blessing to see, you know, kids running around church again. And I was running around, and my father, he saw me. And, you know, my dad being the senior pastor of the church, I think he didn't like what his son was doing. So he just looked at me. And then he came over to me, and I remember my heart just kind of like dropping when he, I saw him walking towards me. Then he looked at me with this kind of look of disapproval, and he said to me, <clears throat> I'll see you at home. That was it. That's all I said. But my, my day was ruined because I knew what that meant. When I got home, I'll probably get a lecture. I'll probably get a spanking, right, because I was being loud and obnoxious and just causing a ruckus. I was just running around. And just being, being a fool, and my dad said, I'll see you at home. So I remember when I got home, I was just so scared, right? And it wasn't even that he was smack was hard. Just, just the whole idea of, you know, that whole thing really bothered me. So what I did was I hid in the closet. I just, just tried to disappear. I said, maybe if my dad doesn't see me for a while, he'll forget about what he said. But of course, my dad would never forget. And I could hear him saying, where is my son, <laughs> right, looking for me. And I remember just that feeling, right, just in my heart, in my gut, just this anxiousness, this anxiety, right, about what was to come. I was anticipating something that I knew was going to be really unpleasant, and so you feel anxiety, right? You feel the sense of anxiousness. You feel the sense of dread, distress, and it's in your mind. It's in your soul, you feel like. It's, and you feel it viscerally, 
you know, in your body, right? Maybe you're sweating, maybe you're shaking. And I think it's, it's an experience that all of us, I think, can relate to uh, in some ways. And we tend to be worriers. We worry about so many things. Right? We worry about our health, right? We worry about our jobs. We worry about our school. We worry about our future, right? If you have kids, we worry about your children, right? We worry about our church. We worry about our society, uh, obviously this pandemic. We worry about different natural disasters. We worry, we just, the list goes on about things that we tend to be anxious about. And in this passage, Jesus says very clearly, do not worry, right? Do not be anxious. Now, I do want to say something here. When Jesus says, do not be anxious, he, he, he never means to not be concerned, right? To not care about life. I, I think sometimes people get the wrong idea when they read passages. They say, do not worry, do not be afraid, do not be anxious. They think, oh, you know, I'm going to live my life carefree, right? God is saying, hakuna matata, right? Like, do whatever you want, be carefree, don't care. And that's not, obviously not true. The Bible is so clear. There is a principle of stewardship in the Bible. We are called to live lives that bring glory to God, right? Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. My whole life is worship, and I should be excellent in the things that I do. I should do well in what I do. It doesn't mean don't care. You know, I remember when I used to work with teenagers uh, back in the day when I was just a youth pastor. I remember as I was a kid, never went to put on his seatbelt. And I was like, well, you got to put on your seatbelt. And he was like, no, I don't want to put on my seatbelt. Well, I was like, well, that's great, but then you can't, I'm not, you can't get in my car, <laughs> right? Like, and, you know, his attitude was, God said, don't worry. So I'm not going to worry about it. And I was like, that's foolish, right? That's like, that's like somebody who has an exam the next day if you're a student, and you're not going to study, and you say, God said, don't worry about it. Right? Again, that is foolishness, right? We are to care. We are to plan, right? We are to be good at what we do, to bring glory to God. If I'm a student, I should study hard, right, and bring glory to God in there. If I'm working, I should work and do a great job and bring glory to God. If I'm, you know, a parent, right, I should raise my children well and, again, glorify God in the things that I'm called to do. Of course. But do not be anxious in the sense of being overwhelmed, right? In the sense of being fearful, right? It's, it's a paralyzing anxiety that enervates discipleship. You know, as I was studying for this passage, there was just the different definitions people would give, you know, for anxiety, right? Just biblically speaking. And, you know, one commentator writes that some concern is good, right? You, you need to be concerned. But Jesus is counseling us against a worry that is self-centered, and has at its root a lack of trust in God, right? I like that way of putting it, right? Jesus is counseling us against worry that is self-centered and has at its root a lack of trust in God. Uh, another pastor put it this way, that anxiety is carrying, a cons carrying concerns in this world in such a way that we lose perspective on life and or we lack trust in God. Right? It's, it's carrying concerns of the world in such a way that we lose perspective on life or we lack trust in God. Right? It's worry that is self-centered has a lack of trust in God. Another pastor 
of the reading says, the essence of anxiety is the desire to control that which we can't control. That's why we're anxious. And so we're trying to control things and we're being overwhelmed and we're being fearful because I'm anxious. I'm anxious. I don't trust God. I want to be in control. I don't, I'm losing perspective. And there is a paralyzing anxiety. That's what Jesus was talking about. Not the concern that you have for others, right? Not the concern that you have for your work, the concern you have for your family. These are, these are good things. But when they get to a point where they paralyze you and they take away from your discipleship, right? When they are overwhelming you, Jesus is saying, well, don't do that. You know, and anxiety, worrying, it's, it's anticipatory, right? Um, you know, if, if you have, if your house is on fire, you're going to be scared, right? There's a fear that comes from that, obviously. In your house. But then, what if I'm shopping? You know, maybe I'm at Costco, right, or Target, and I keep thinking about what if my house is on fire? It's not. But I, but I still feel that same dread, right? I still feel that same sense of anxiousness. I dwell on it. I focus on it. I'm preoccupied by it. And again, you know, we can keep trying to describe anxiety, but I think most of us know what it feels like, right? We can feel it in our, with our stress. We can feel it in our hearts. I'm always thinking about it. I'm dwelling on it. I'm always focused on it. And, you know, because it's such a common thing, you know, even the world that we live in, you know, there are, people, you know, there are ways that we try to combat it, right? Uh, you know, if you talk to different doctors or talk to different, you know, people that work with anxious people, you know, they say, well, you could try to help yourself. Maybe get more exercise into your life. Maybe do relaxation techniques, right? Breathing techniques or maybe do some yoga. And, and these things can be somewhat helpful in lessening this feeling of anxiety you might feel. You know, I think the world will say, you know, get away from the things that make you anxious, right? And there's good advice there, right? Take, your way, take yourself away from the situations that might make you anxious. Or if you're anxious about things like your finances, well, do a better job. Right? Take care of your finances so that you don't have to be anxious. If you're anxious about your exam, well, study for the exam. Right? These are common sense principles. That makes sense. And if you have a more serious sense of anxiety, or even if you have maybe a diagnosis of some form of anxiety, you know, you know, people might say, you know, hey, you should take some medication for it. Or maybe get some, go see a therapist, go, go to counseling. And again, these things can be helpful. You know, um, I'm personally belief, you know, if, if the medication can be helpful, it can be a good thing. But at the end of the day, any medication, right, it's, it's symptom relief. It's helping your symptoms, but it's not necessarily getting to the root of your problem. So then someone might say, well, you can go see a therapist. And you know, I think a common therapy would be, for example, something like cognitive behavioral therapy, which is really about neutralizing the, the, the thoughts that you have, right? the distorted thoughts that you have that might make you anxious. So get a, just a few things, and there's honestly a lot in the past, so I can't really go over everything here, but just a, a few highlights of what Jesus is saying, and hopefully, It'll be a little helpful to us as we think about the, the anxiousness that I feel, that I experience in, in my life, that we all experience in our lives, and, and how does Jesus address some of those things? Um, before we get kind of, I guess, a little deeper, one thing I do want to start, I guess, first is there is a call to obedience, right? There is a call to obedience. And the reason I'm saying that is because 
in the passage three times. Jesus says, do not be anxious. Verse 25, do not be anxious. If you go a little lower, verse 31, therefore, do not be anxious. Verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious. And when Jesus says three times to not do something, it is obviously a call to not do it. Now, I will say this. I don't think Jesus is saying it kind of like a drill sergeant. Don't be anxious. How dare you? I, I don't think that's the, the approach here. I think there's a compassion here, right? There's a, there's a love here. He's calling us to not be anxious. And then he gives us reasons why we shouldn't be anxious. And so I think there's a, a, a compassionate, loving Savior who is saying this to us. However, he is saying to us three times in this passage to not be anxious. And you might think, you know what? Obviously, Jesus, I don't want to be anxious. I mean, who woke up this morning and said, Lord, give me anxiety? Right? Who, who would want to be anxious? And yet, to be honest, because it is so common and because so many people seem to struggle with some form of worry or anxiety, we may not really take, that, take it that seriously and just be like, that's just who I am. Right? Think about it. You know, if you're in a community group setting or accountability group kind of setting, or if it's just you and one other person and you're praying together, you're sharing, if the person in front of you shares with you that they are committing adultery, for example, you're going to be like, whoa. If somebody is saying, hey, you know, I'm, I've been stealing, right? Or I've been, you know, and you can go, you know, there are certain things that you see in someone's life and you make you go, whoa, we got we to do something about that. But when the person that's sharing with you says, man, I've just been really anxious, we tend to go, yeah, you know, me too. And we don't always even try to address it. We just kind of go, yeah, you, me, yeah, we all do it. You know, it is what it is. And I think we are called to say, Lord, if you are saying don't be anxious, even though I kind of feel like I can't help it, and to some extent maybe I can't, maybe it is an emotion that I'm going to experience, maybe I don't want to stay there. I don't want to stay in the anxiety. I want to ask, how can I hopefully move forward? How can I try to overcome it? Because that is what you call me to do. And I think that is an important thing. Even if I feel like it's not possible, even if I feel like it's not something that I want to do or really care for, if God is calling me to do something, I want to say yes and amen. Right? I want to say yes and we are called to faith, right? We are called to faith. Because why? Why am I feeling anxious? Why am I feeling all this worry? It's because I want to be in control, and I'm clearly not in control, and so I get anxious, right? Like, I mean, I want to be in control, and I want to do Why? Because we know that he knows what's best for us. And so, you know, to be honest, in the Bible, there are times when I read the word of God and it's, you don't want to obey, right? You ever been really mad at somebody and just really feeling bitterness and maybe some venom? You know, you want to hurt somebody and you ever read a passage of <laughs> right around that time to forgive? And there's no part of you that wants to forgive. However, that is what God calls us to do. 
And maybe sometimes we lack our anxiety. Maybe this is part of who I am. Maybe we just feel like it is what it is, but if that is what God is calling me to do, I want to obey. Well, okay. So the first point is we are called to obedience. Second, but you're not, right? Verse 27, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? No one. I could be as worried as I want to be. I want to be as anxious as I want to be. But that's not going to even give me one more hour of my life. It probably might take away from my life, from the anxiety, right? But I can't control anything, really, ultimately. And so what am I called to do? I'm called to trust in Christ because he is the one in control. That's why he says, if you look at verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Think about that argument. Jesus saying, look at the birds. Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. What is he saying? He's saying, look at, look at the flowers. Look at the lilies. They're beautiful. Even Solomon, right, who was so rich, who was the king, he didn't even have clothes like this. And he says, if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? What he's saying is, if you, do, you get, I don't, do you ever look at birds? I'm not a big bird person because I grew up in New York and only birds I saw were like pigeons. And they would just poop on my car and on me, right? And so, you know, but if you ever just look at just birds, Right, especially of birds that like have very beautiful colors, that they're actually really cool to look at. And he says, look at the birds. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather. But what does God do? He takes care of them. He feeds them. And then his argument is, if God is going to take care of birds, are you not of more value than they? And then he makes a similar argument if you look at verse 28. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even provisions, we don't trust in his love. We don't trust in his care. And that is why when difficult situations arise, we get really anxious. Sometimes there is even no, no situation even, but I just feel a general sense of dread and anxiety. God says he'll take care of us, but we lack faith. And so really what's God saying to us. What is Jesus saying in this passage? He's looking, he, his argument is to think about what God does for creation and then think, aren't you more important? That's what faith is, by the way. Faith is not just, it makes no sense, but I trust God. Right? Some people think faith is like, you know, it doesn't make sense to me. Nothing makes sense, but I just trust. Right? There's no thinking involved. No. Faith is, involves a lot of thinking. It looks at truth. It looks at God's love. It looks at the gospel. He said. And so, you know, I try to comfort her. And she said to me, my dog is in heaven. And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't know where you're getting this idea from. I don't even know where that idea came from, all those go to heaven, because they don't. And so I try to explain to her, you know, just lovingly, speaking the truth, right? Like, you know, people go to heaven. Dogs don't really have a soul, so they don't. And I, I didn't think she liked my answer. So she looked at me and she said, that kind of makes sense, but my, my, but my dog is in heaven. I said, okay. 
right? I didn't want to really argue the point because I understood what she was saying, right? That she was really sad about the dog. But animals, when they're, when they're dead, they're dead. People, right? We're made in the image of God. We are like, it applies it, right? Faith is being confident in the world that we live in to be able to face the world because we trust in the word of God. I mean, faith here, what is, what is Jesus saying? Look, you're more important than flowers and you're more important than birds. But God takes care of them. You, however, are made in the image of God, right? Grass is going to go back to dirt. Animals are going to die and then that's it. They don't have a soul. You are made in the image of God. You know, I, you know my, my first youth group, that I, that I served in, actually our, our brother Danny here was part of my first youth group. He was my guinea pig, right? <laughs> I figured things out. And there was, a, there was a girl in that youth group who I think lost her dog many years. She was not, and we have a soul. And so if you're a Christian, when you die, your soul is with Christ. That's what Paul talks about in Philippians 1, right? To die is gain. When he dies, he will depart and be with Christ. And so... We're made in the image of God. That is why, you know, if you kill, you know, if you kill an animal, or if you, like, kill a fish, and you eat it, it's dinner. You know, if you kill a person, that's murder, right? It's different. And, you know, we are made in the image of God. We are like God. We, we are set apart from the rest of creation in that way. But here's the other thing. If I'm a Christian, not only am I an image bearer, I am a child of God. If I'm a Christian, think about this for a second. If I am a child of God, if I'm a Christian, that means God himself, our heavenly father, literally sent his one and only son. He did not spare his own son, but sent his son into this world to die for sinners like us. If I'm a Christian, that's what it means. Now think about that. I'm a parent. There's a lot of parents in this room. How many of us, would any of us ever give up our child to anyone for anything? And I would think the answer is no. I love my kids. And so, you know, you would never give up your kid for anyone, for anything. Why? Because you just, you cherish them, you love them. And yet our Heavenly Father was willing with love to give up his one and only son, to send a son into the world to live and to die for sinners like us because of his love for us. We think about Christ, what he went through. He came into the world, right? He suffered. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross. He humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. He suffered. He died. He was forsaken by his own father. He went through hell itself. We think about what Christ went through because of his love for his people. And so if I'm a Christian, I know what Christ has done for me. I know how much he loves me. And so if you look at Romans 8, that's what Paul says. If God would not spare his own son, what would he not do for you? God is working for the good of those who love him. So that means for us, we know that the same God who loves me so much, enough to die for me, he is loving me today. He is working for my good today. And so that is why I trust him. But a lot of times we don't. We lack faith. We say, I am a Christian. I believe in God's love. I believe in what Christ has done for me. I believe in all of these things. And yet, when push comes to shove, I don't trust him. That is why I get so anxious. 
And so faith, in that sense, is saying, I take the things that I know, I take the things that I believe, the things that I sing about on a Sunday morning, right, or Sunday afternoon, and I give glory to God about, I take these truths that are in my heart, and what do I do? I apply it into my life, right? I speak to my heart. I speak to my mind these promises of God, these gospel truths that I know, that I cherish, and I reason with myself. And I remind myself of who Christ is and what he has done. And as I do that, I don't have to be as anxious because I am trusting in him. You know, I think one of the things that is one of the scariest things in the world for me is that I'm in a car with somebody who is not a good driver. I don't know if you know this experience. You ever been in a car with someone and they're just bad? This is why I have a rule. I, I don't get into cars of anyone who is at, not at least in college. I had an experience uh, of a brother once. I was in his car. He was a high school student. I don't know why I did this. I was very foolish. But, uh, I mean, you know, you ever been on the highway and you have the little grooves on the side of the highway and every time you, know, you kind of like fall asleep, you go, right? This dude, every time he went around the curve, he was like hitting those grooves. And he was wide awake. And I remember just being like, oh, my. I'm going to die. <laughs> like, I was being so scared. So after that, I said, all right, no more. If you, if you haven't driven at least a couple of years, I don't really want to get into your car, right? Because you, you feel scared. But when you're in a car with somebody who's a good driver, you feel different. I remember growing up as a kid, you know, my mom was not the best driver. The point I'm making here is this. God is in control over my life. And God loves me. This is what I know. He's fully in control. He is sovereign and he loves me. He is driving the car of my life. And so sometimes I don't know where he's going. I don't know where he's leading. I don't know where he's guiding me. But here is what I know that the one who is in control over my life, the one who is leading me, he is in full control and he loves me enough even to go to the cross. And so when I know that and I have faith in Christ in that way, I don't have to be so anxious because I look to him. Now, we talked about obedience, faith, and really the last point I want to make today is worship. Why do I feel anxious? Right? Because I want to be in control and I don't trust in the Lord, so I need to trust him. But also because of my idolatrous heart. Because my priority is in the wrong places, right? I love something too much. I love it more than God, and it is idolatry. Now, what is idolatry? I think something hopefully most of us know, um, but, you know, we're, we're created to worship God, right? If you, you know, Shorter Catechism, Westminster Shorter Catechism, you know, what is the chief end of man, right? To glorify God, to enjoy him forever. That, that is my calling. That is my life, is to worship to give glory to God. But ever since the fall, you know, Jesus talks about that. He says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But he says to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I had a, I had a professor in seminary put it this way. He said, we all live for some kind of treasure, 
Our treasure controls our heart, and our heart controls our life. And I like that, right? We all live for some kind of treasure. We do. Whatever treasure we have controls our hearts, and whatever controls my heart controls my life, which ultimately that means my idol, my treasure controls my heart and my life, everything. And what is my heart? Well, my heart is my control center. My heart is my essence of mankind, of Adam and Eve. You know, we know that we, we're not naturally inclined anymore to worship God. But here's the thing. We're all worshipers. We're all going to worship something. So if you don't worship God, we're going to worship something else. And I think, you know, when you look at ancient times, you see people worshiping, you know, the sun, right? Worshiping, you know, different idols, like literally, right? And, and we see that and we go, oh, well, we're, we're, we're modern right now. We're, we're not those ancient people. So we don't worship idols like that. However, since, right, it's where my mind, my soul, right, my emotions, my will, where it all comes together. So my essence, that's my heart. That's who I am. So when I say, hey, I like this person, I'm not, I'm not saying I like their nose. I'm saying I like you, who you are. And so if I treasure something, and if that thing that I treasure is not God, that becomes an idol and it's going to rule my heart and it's going to rule my life. Now, Jesus gives a couple of examples of this. He gives food and clothes. Now, it's actually very interesting because food and clothes are like basic needs, right? And this is a culture, just like a subsistence culture, so you know, not, they're not very rich. A lot of people at this time maybe will be really hungry. Food might be hard to come by. They might not have a lot of clothes. But he gives food and clothes as examples of things he's saying you don't want to be so anxious about because you don't want those things to be your idolatry, your treasure. But even today, if you think about it, food can be an idol. See, food is good. I love food. And, you know, one of, the, one of the joys of my life is that I marry someone who cooks really well, right? Because I, I don't really cook. So, you know, for years I ate stuff that really wasn't that great. And now, you know, she's an excellent cook. And so I'm actually very blessed in that way. And food is good. But food can be an idol. I know people that wake up in the morning and all they think about is what they're going to eat that day. Because right? you can eat to live or you can live to eat. And if you live to eat, that can be an issue, Right? You know, all day long, I have breakfast. Now, what do I get for lunch? I got lunch. What do I eat for my 3 o'clock snack? I got my snack. What's for dinner? What's my midnight snack, right? What are my examples? Maybe it's not food. Maybe it's not clothes. Maybe it's approval. Maybe my whole life is all about approval. Some, everybody needs to like me. And if somebody doesn't like me, it just bothers me all day long. It just goes underneath my skin, and I feel so anxious. Why don't you like me? Why? Maybe it's perfection. Everything needs to be just right. You know, I knew somebody who used to tell me that she was a failing perfectionist. I said, what does that even mean? And she said, it's because I'm a perfectionist, but no one's perfect, hence I'm a failing perfectionist. So I like that. Right? So I was like, that, that makes sense. But no one's really truly a perfectionist because we can't be. So maybe I want perfection. If I don't get it just right, it's crazy. Maybe I'm all about respect. You don't respect me. This gets under my skin. And you know, here's the thing. You ever, you ever eat with somebody, you're eating something delicious, and all they want to talk about is other things they ate and want to eat. So you're eating, and they're like, oh, you got to try this. Oh, I got to try that. You know, and it's just food, food, food. Because food, important, could become an idol. Same thing with clothes. We should all wear clothes, obviously, right? And, you know, and we should wear nice clothes if we can. We should look good. That's great. 
But I know people who take two hours every morning just to get the right outfit going on. And it's funny until maybe it's not, but, you know, I remember when I was in high school, I think, I would go to retreat, wake up, you know, wore out of bed, and there would be people I knew that would, like, wake up two hours earlier, right? Because they got to look good at the retreat, right? You know, you got to do your hair well, you got to dress well. Clothes is a good thing, but it could become an idol. Clothes was a good thing. Anything that's done right is a good thing. Respect, there's nothing wrong with that. If I'm a father and I want respect for my kids, that's a good thing. But if it becomes an idol, and if you don't respect me, you will bear my wrath. And if you don't respect me, I will hate myself and I will hate you, right? And, and my life is so miserable. It becomes a bad thing. See, when I am anxious, there's a fear of not getting what I want, what I cherish, or losing what I cherish. So if money is my idol, if I have it, I'm always anxious because I don't want to lose it and I want more. And if I don't have it, I'm always anxious, right? Because I want more of it and I don't have it. And again, money is a good thing. We need money. We need to pay for things. It's obviously a good thing. However, if it becomes an idol, that's when it becomes a problem. My idolatry show my narrow, obsessed, idolatrous I dwell on it. I can't get away from it. When my idols, when my treasures, when they're touched, when they're threatened, I become anxious. Now, we're ultimately breaking the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So what do we need to do? If I see that there are things in my life that are so important, they're way above God, right? Because God says, I need to come first. I need to be the priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is the passage today, verse 33, right? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness with the things of God, right? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I don't want to put God second, third, last. I have to put him first. But here's the problem. We so often push God backwards. I remember when I first really, really felt like a passion for God. I think I was in high school and I was just feeling really passionate for the Lord. And I said to myself, Lord, I'm going to read your word and I'm going to pray and I'm going to do my devotions. And I remember that was like a commitment that I made. And then what happens? You know, you go to school, you wake up in the righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is saying God needs to come first. It's a priority issue. The things of God needs to come before anything else. But no, you are putting these other things above God. You're loving them more than God. And so because of that idolatry, what is going on, you are feeling anxiousness because these things that you love too much, they're touched, they're threatened, and it makes you so worried, anxious, and miserable. So what do we need to do? We need to repent. Right? Repentance means ultimately to turn. Right? So repentance means I'm going the wrong way. So I've got to turn around and go the right way. And so I am called to repent of my idolatry and to replace them with the Lord. So important to you. And when something threatens these things, you get so anxious but you got to have a priority thing going on here. you got to put God first, knowing that as you worship him, as you love him, all these other things will fall into place if you seek first his kingdom 
of his righteousness. How do I do that? I have to see who Christ is. Again, I have to look at how amazing and how loving he is. I remember reading this example. I think it was uh, in one of John Piper's books. I think it's Desiring God. I might be butchering it a little bit because it's been a while. But I remember this one story that I read, which, you know, he did a little contrast to talk about desiring God. And, you know, the first story was about, I think, like a teenager. And he, he gets flowers for his girlfriend on Valentine's Day. And, you know, he, I want to go on the phone, right? Because when I was in high school, you know, we didn't have any, you know, there's no internet, right? There's no texting. It's all phone calls, right? And so you want to do these different things. And you keep pushing God back. I got to eat dinner. I got to talk to my family. I got to do this and that. And so you keep pushing God back. And then it's like 11 o'clock and you're about to go to sleep and you go, oh, I should spend some time with God. So I'll bring out my Bible. And this happened like almost every night. I will read and just drop the Bible on my face and I would just fall asleep. And I will wake up and the Bible would be like somewhere on my bed. And I remember my friends would be like, yo, James, your, your Bible looks so wrecked. You must be so holy. I'm like, if you only knew <laughs> why my Bible looks so wrecked. Because like, I'm always falling asleep with this thing, right? But that's what we do. We keep pushing God and what is Jesus saying? You're anxious because you have all of these idols that are brings it to her house. She goes, oh, you shouldn't have. It's probably Cooper you should have, right? But he brings it, and she's thankful, and he says something to the account of, don't worry about it. It's what I'm supposed to do. It's my duty. Nobody wants to hear that, right? Nobody wants to hear it's my job. They want to hear I love you, right? And so he contrasts that with a couple that's been married like 30 years, their anniversary, the husband takes the wife out to dinner, you know, beautiful view, beautiful food, dancing. The wife is so touched. So she says to her husband, oh, you know, you shouldn't have. You didn't need to do all this. And, the father, and then the husband says something very romantic, and he says, there's no place I would rather be than right here with you. That's, that's nice. It's like you're in your own little K-drama, right? Like, that's nice. And here's the thing, when you see Christ at the cross, dying for the sins of his people, I think in some ways he's saying something like that. He's saying, even though I'm here on the cross dying, suffering the hell that you deserve, being forsaken by my own father because I love my people so much, there's no place I would rather be than right here. And when I understand that love, when I understand that Savior, when I know who I have in Jesus and how important I am to him, that he would even die on a cross for a sinner like me, then I want to say, Lord, I want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. I want to live for you. I don't want to be an idolater. I want to be a worshiper of you. And I want to trust fully in you. And as I do that, and as I apply the gospel in my life every day, I trust that God will continue to work in our hearts and help lessen that anxiousness that I'm feeling as I put more faith in him, as I worship him with all that I am. Let's pray.